Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of The Investment News Podcast. I'm Jeff Benjamin along with Bruce Kelly. And uh, we are talking today with our colleague, Emil Halle, about pooled employer plans. This is riveting stuff and Emil loves it. We would call Emil a special guest, except as he likes to describe himself, he is a member of the family, the Investment News family. We're all a band of brothers and sisters here. Right, Emil? Is that right? Did I get that right? I mean, is there's that no, there's no video, it? so I, I, I can't show people our matching tattoos, but... Um... <laughs> well, that's for another time. Anyway, thank you for joining us, Emil. Thank you for being here. We're going to learn all about retirement plan advisors, which is, I know, your, your bread and butter. But first, tell us about these pooled employer plans. It's a, it's a little bit of a foreign concept to us, and I understand it's pretty new, but these things are flying off the shelves. Is that safe to say? Well, so pooled employer plans are the private sector's way to potentially expand retirement plan access. It's something that has long been an issue in this country. Only just over half of full-time non-government workers are even able to contribute to a 401k plan, and less than half of, of people actually do. And as a way to expand that access under the SECURE Act passed a couple years ago, Pooled employer plans are a result of that. And what they are is it's it's this long-awaited answer to the open multiple employer plan. And multiple employer plans under that structure, different companies can basically participate in the same retirement savings plan. And that's beneficial because you get economies of scale, fiduciary oversight. But the the problem with those is that companies had to have some kind of a relationship. They had to use our own retirement plan is an example of that. We use an outsourced HR service that allows us to participate in an MEP, or you might need to be part of the same trade group, for example. But with PEPs, there's no relation needed whatsoever. So any small business is eligible to participate in one of these plans. And they're just starting to come to market. Toward the end of the year, when the DOL started letting entities register for these there were a couple dozen that that filed. And over the past few weeks, we've seen quite a few announcing that they're bringing ones to market. And the most notable of which, which I think in January was uh, Fidelity announced that theirs is going live and they're they're looking to get the first participants into that plan, I think this month, uh-huh. if not in the coming months. Uh, Emil, what kind of company would use this and and why? Well, so... There are different views on that. Fidelity's taken on this seems to be that it's it's a way to get more small businesses that don't offer retirement plans to their workers to get their business. So, you know, a business That's that maybe has- always been like a perennial problem, though, that many people yeah. and have tried to solve, how to get an affordable plan in front of a small business owner. Correct. Yeah. And, and, and so, like I said, PEPs are like the, the private sector's way of doing that. State right. governments are taking a different approach, and they have all of these automatic IRA programs that are coming out. And, and advisors hate those, right? <laughs> they feel I like they're so. eating into their market share. You know, what's the government doing running a retirement plan when I should be? You know, you know, potentially, but I, you know, I don't know how many clients they have that are small businesses that that would use their yeah, services or small, have retirement they're, plans. They're tar- the government's targeting the small retail. Market. Yes, they're not. They're not really biting into the. Financial I've never met an space. advisor who likes who likes the government. Yeah. So based on that, they hate them. Advice. Yes. 
Yeah. But getting back to who would use this, you know. Small. Okay, so there's there's a couple answers, and and small businesses that don't already have a retirement plan, either because of the costs or the complexity, not knowing what to do. They're one of the big areas where this could grow. But then the other part of that are smaller to mid-sized businesses, even some larger businesses that want simplicity, and that's where a lot of companies are looking at this for some potential. It's those those companies that you know they maybe have like. A small HR staff that overseeing a 401k plan is not their specialty. And what PEPs do is they allow you to basically outsource a lot of that fiduciary liability or risk. You still have some in that you have to select the provider and the plan, but the other fiduciary risks are basically absorbed by the plan provider. No, that's great. Thank you. Do you have to be a small plan to to be part of these pool plans, or could could you just could these things become these massive things with giant companies, or not giant but mid sized companies? Would there be economies of scale there to be had, or? Yeah, I think so, and that is that is what a lot of these what I think some of the providers are going to be counting on. Uh huh. But you know how it plays out, we'll we'll find out because uh, the first plans are just starting to go live right now. This is brand new. It was January 1st of this year that the first plans could actually launch. And you know, as you know, that's not when a plan is actually going to go live with participants in it. It takes a little mm-hmm. time to get it up and running, to get companies registered, to enroll employees. So what does this mean to retirement plan advisors? This sounds like it would be a way for them to get much larger or more companies, basically get more smaller companies into plans, right? Isn't that kind of the idea? Potentially. um, I think some of the retirement plan aggregator shops that we've talked with in the past, they see some potential there and they see it more potentially with some clients that are mid-large employers to kind of outsource that, that fiduciary liability. But, you know, I'm not I'm not sure if they like some of them see some risks and some potential there as well. You know, if if it's something that advisors want to offer, they would look to use a record keeper as the plan provider, I think. Mm-hmm. What's the backstory on this whole these these peps? I mean, there's there's always somebody getting their bread buttered when you see some new legislation and stuff like that. Where where what's the who pushed this thing and and who's likely to benefit the most? Oh, uh, <laughs> I mean, Emil, well, we know we will, you, we know you breathe this stuff, so you know it cold, but uh, yeah, well, I'm it's being tested in the market right now. So we don't really know how successful these things are going to be. The worry that some companies have is that they're totally going to flop. And if that happens, the message might be that the private sector is not great at providing retirement plan access. So you know, that could potentially lead to more state auto IRA initiatives, although there are tons of those happening, or maybe a federal auto IRA program. So I don't I don't understand how the message would be that the private sector isn't great at providing retirement plans when the whole 401k industry is is the private sector. Isn't this just basically taking the 401k at smaller or creating 401ks at smaller companies and lumping them together to make a bigger 401k? Yeah, essentially. But how effective they're going to be at doing that is the question. Are, are a lot of small businesses going to go this route? 
like, is this going to meaningfully expand the availability of 401k plans to, to small business employees? You know, that's the question because it's not just a small amount of people who don't have access to a 401k. It's a massive amount of people. And when we're depending on this system rather than traditional pensions or some sort of a government system to save for retirement, if those workers aren't actually saving somehow, they're going to be relying heavily right. on social security to fund their retirement. Well, what's the incentive of smaller businesses in joining one of these one of these pools, these pool plans? It just so as a I benefit think, to their employees or or do they is there some kind of a tax break involved or or what? I don't I'm not necessarily aware of any tax break associated with a pooled employer plan, although there are planned startup credits that employers can claim. So maybe those are applicable. I'm I'm not the person to ask about that. That's something I can I can look into. But you know, it's it's the right thing to do, certainly, if if employers want to do right by their employees. And the thing about this, it just makes it easier for them. Easier for oh, as opposed to starting their own 401k. Yeah. Right? And yeah. So part of the problem with offering 401ks to small employers in the past is that they don't have economies of scale. So small small plans end up paying bigger fees than right. those in really massive companies. And that doesn't work out so well for the small business owner, for the employees. And this is a way around that. I don't I don't think that PEPs have the lowest costs compared to, you know, a, a billion dollar 401k, but it's definitely going to be lower cost than a very small plan on its own. I mean, it sounds it sounds promising. If you've got names like Fidelity behind it, they must see some opportunities there because that's not a nonprofit organization, as we know, right? No, no, yeah. And you know, it was interesting the way that they're going into this too, because Fidelity acts at, like in every capacity. You know, they're they're the service provider, the you know the plan provider. They're providing the investments for it too. And there have been a lot of companies that registered as pooled plan providers but haven't really moved forward with their plans. Mm-hmm. And part of their concern is that they see a lack of guidance or a lack of clarity from the Department of Labor about whether it's okay to recommend and include their own investments on the plan. And mm, Fidelity... The, now you got to the part where whose bread's getting buttered here. Eh? <laughs> yeah, so Fidelity seems to... They, they don't think that that's going to be an issue. And I think that a lot of providers are probably looking at that and, and seeing some reassurance there. But as far as, you know, the details about other plans coming to market, I, but, I, I but don't know. But that's not necessarily scandalous, is it? I mean, a lot of plan providers have their own funds on the menu, right? Yeah, that's, that's how a lot of 401ks yeah. have been historically. Yeah, the, the plan provider also provides at least some of the investments. It's, it doesn't necessarily go against ERISA to do that. But generally, the trend has been that record keepers don't just provide their own investments within the plan because there is there is some fiduciary risk in doing that. Right. What about, I want to talk to you a little bit about retirement plan advisors. And, and I, I think I kind of asked you that question earlier, what this might mean to them. But I'm I'm curious about retirement plan advisors anyways. I just have some questions about them. Like, first of all, do you become a retirement plan advisor because you had some clients that owned businesses and you started taking on the retirement plan? 
or do you start off as a retirement plan advisor? I mean, to me, it's it, it seems like a big opportunity out there and it seems like something that other advisors, advisors who might be listening to this could, could maybe expand into or how does that normally work, Emil? So I can't speak for every retirement advisor out there. Oh, no, and no. I imagine that there to, are. We need you to speak for everyone. All right. Come oh, on. They're shoot. not here. <laughs> really putting me on the spot here, Benjamin. Uh, so yeah. I think that there, you know, there are some advisors out there who kind of stumbled into this and then got their retirement plan chops up because they had one small plan or small business client that or or wealth client that is a business owner that said, Hey, can you provide a 401k plan for me? That is probably not the norm though. I think it is more common now for these retirement advisor firms to be expanding into other relationships with participants, including wealth. There's a lot of interest there. I don't think there's as much with wealth advisors looking to get into the retirement plan business. Is that because the they make less money off retirement plans? Which they do, right? Probably, but it's also a matter of of, you know, what you specialize in. You know, if if you happen to be one of those those wealth advisors that that has a you know just a handful of small 401k clients you know maybe you outsource that to a specialist so that you can still keep that relationship the wealth relationship with that client because you have to have that specialty if you're going to provide a good plan and and provide a good service for those clients mhm Bruce you got anything for Emil yeah, just a couple of points, uh, Emil. Thanks, Jeff. You say the the market for people who don't have access to four hundred one k's through their employer, through their jobs, is big, is huge. But like, how how big are we talking about? Like fifty percent of the American workforce, more than that, less than that. Do we do we have statistics on that, or does somebody? Yeah. So surveys kind of indicate that it's less than half of full time non-government workers who actually participate in a 401k. There's a Less big than gap. Half. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and and Man. so much of that is because of a lack of access. You know, if you have access to a 401k plan, the trend has been to have How are people going to retire? <laughs> oh, That's oracle a good question. of Maine. Are they going to retire? The oracle of Maine and coffee and mushrooms, Emil Halai. Yeah, Maine, and we retirement need, plans. We need your answer to that question. How yes. are people going to retire? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's. <sighs> it's, you know, it's oh, a good awful. question, and you know, so many. If you go online and you play with right. any of these different online retirement calculators, there are yeah, so sure, many sure, of them sure. that say you have to have ten times your final income saved for retirement. I'm running out of money by the time I'm 65. Basically, well, okay. <laughs> I go right, on those time, calculators, and I'm going to retire when I'm resume, 67. Then. So I don't know how the hell that math works, you know? Well, one thing to keep in mind. But I, at least I had, I'm putting money into my 401k right. and always have it. At, at least we're, we're trying, right? Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. I mean, just because well, somebody on, doesn't. Jeff, have, I had another question there, oh, buddy. Okay. I, well, I wanted to follow up on that one. Hold on. Just because somebody doesn't have a 401k to contribute to doesn't mean that they're not contributing to an IRA on their own. So that that's right. probably not being factored in. But right? that's less likely, though. It's the easiest thing in the world is to have that tax-free right. contribution made each month or every every 
Right. Two it's weeks. a lot easier when there's a 401k. Yes. Right. Yeah. So there's I, that's one thing that the industry, I know that they at least used to argue that. I remember years ago being in a retirement, I think it was a conference, record keeper conference. Oh, and now you're getting the topic good. was record keeper conference. <laughs> wow. I just don't it's know. More exciting than I'm getting you think. goose pimples so, over here. <laughs> I can't would imagine that. Would you hour. let me finish? Now, how much coffee? So, the speaker at one of these panels said, the speaker at one of these panels had said to the room of, you know, the people who provide retirement plans, stop talking about how there is a retirement savings crisis. We don't want the government thinking that so that they have to provide some sort of a government option. I love it. I love and it. And IRAs have been this is Mr. part of that Big argument. This saying, saying this. Anyone Emil, can, right? can save in an IRA. So, you know, theoretically, everyone has access to their, some kind of retirement savings vehicle. But to set up an IRA means you have to go to Fidelity or Vanguard or, or whomever. Yeah, people, and, not everybody does that, of course. And do the paperwork and make the monthly contributions and come oh, Yeah, it could take a whole 20 right. minutes out of your life, man. It's the a the reason the, the 401k works is because so often you're defaulted into it. Right. Yeah. That's that's the big thing. And that's why, you know, that's where some of these state auto IRA programs are going to see some success. Which managers um, hate. <laughs> Maybe just maybe. as you said, they don't they don't want the specter, right? Even the hint of Uncle Sam, big bad federal government having any kind of role or position in people's investments for you retirement. Know, on the, just, on the other hand, these these state auto IRAs, people can start saving in them. It doesn't mean that they're going to be traction? saving for their. Have those gotten traction anywhere? They're relatively new. I know. California, for example, is, I think, oh, they have, I think the last figure that I saw from them was like $54 million that's in it, but it's a brand new system. And people, the people who are starting to save in it, they're not, you know, usually extremely highly compensated workers. And, you know, the default contributions are low. There wasn't just all of the seed money that, that came into the system. So we're going to see how effective this is in the coming years. And people are going to have the option to roll those assets out into a 401k or another million, did you say? Yeah, but it's new. It's not even a billion dollars is what you're saying. It's pretty far from it, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, So, but it's later this year that the, the state is going to start requiring, you know, pretty much all small businesses to be enrolled in that. They've, right. These systems always come out in waves where at first it's like, you know, if you have 100 or more employees and you don't provide a 401k, you have to register for the program. And California is typically a leader on type of these types of things because it's California and it's very left leaning and, and the like. High taxes, lots of government, very progressive. Yeah. Oregon actually had the first system. Oh, Okay. And Illinois followed them. California. Now, was can third. I ask you another question about the retirement plan advisor market? Yes. What the way it was pitched to me years ago, and I know next to nothing about this, but what people would say to me is that, you know, they would, if you were a broker with LPL or Raymond James or Merrill Lynch or something like that, you were working with a wealthy client who owned a small business, right? Or a mid sized business. Mm-hmm. And then you would become, 
the record keeper or you would get him to be use Merrill Lynch or Bank of America or LPL or Raymond James as the record keeper for his retirement plan. And you're and you're telling me so I'm advising the business owner and then I get his retirement plan business too for the you know the auto body shop or the the small construction firm or the the welding, you know, company or whatever it is. And you're telling me that's not the case anymore. No, I'm sure it is. And there are there are a lot of advisors out there who have just a handful of small 401k clients. But, you know, the question is is that is that a business that they want? Is it just administrative complexity for them? And if there's a way that they can keep that relationship, the wealth relationship with the client, but offload the administration of the plan to right. an expert, should they do that? And that's what these these newfangled doohickeys, the peps do, is what you're saying. I don't know how much that's going to be the case with advisors who have just a handful of 401k clients. It's certainly an option, but I'm not, I'm not sure what the benefits are to the advisor for, for recommending that. You know, it, it's definitely a possibility. I got you. Hey, Emil, who, who are uh, some of the biggest players in the retirement plan advisor space right now? Well, company you're definitely familiar with, CapTrust. <laughs> right. Somebody you write a yeah. lot about. SageView right. is another really Cap big Trust. aggregator. Yep. SageView we know about. My my point is, is the same thing happening at the at the retirement? I know it's happening at Cap Trust, but I also know that they're they're expanding into the they're expanding somewhat rapidly into the the, the kind of the individual uh, wealth management space. But I, I'm wondering what you see in terms of 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 growth in that space. I mean, is that is that consolidating the same way we're seeing the RIA space consolidating? I know that these are technically RIAs also, but you understand the distinction I'm making, right? Advisors that that manage retirement plan assets and advisors that work mostly with individual investors. Oh yeah, there's a ton of deals that are happening. Yeah, the aggregators keep getting bigger, and retirement plan advisors that are very good at what they do and have been, you know, seeing really massive growth. It's a great time for them to sell. Valuations are extremely high, and there's a lot of money out there. So, you know, there's a lot for these advisors to think about in terms of whether or not they've built a business or a practice and what they're worth and how attractive they are to potential buyers. And there are concerns about handing off the business to someone else when the owner wants to retire. A lot of things to consider, but the present is there are a lot of deals going on. Right. Is there anything that you see as a other trends that maybe are worth mentioning here regarding uh, beyond uh, pooled employer plans and a lot of the consolidation going on out there for retirement plan advisors in that space? Things you're working on? Well, you know, the future of retirement and, and how advisors work with clients on their aspirations there is a, that's always something we're looking at because not everybody wants to retire and a lot of people won't be able to just quit working at age 65 like maybe they plan to in the past or it's it's always good to have a plan to be able to stop working at that time financially if for some reason you're unable to continue working but you know the way that people spend their time after they quit their full-time jobs it's interesting 
that's that's something we'll be <laughs> paying a lot of attention to. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. All right, Bruce, got anything else? Or are we going to let uh, Emil get back to his coffee? Emil drinks a lot of coffee. Uh, we were talking about that earlier, folks. I want you to know <laughs> that he's a he's a uh, devout coffee snob. He orders his coffee uh, from somewhere in California. I think they ship it to him one bean at a time. I just had a little a little follow up. Um, <laughs> and if I was hearing this correctly, Emil, it seems like you're saying that Vanguard is moving into this marketplace despite some fear by others about a fiduciary rule or fiduciary overhang or something. And I was just curious to follow up on that, just just to follow up on that. And then if you see that, you know, is the retirement industry, are they, you know, nervous about a Biden administration and the DOL and a fiduciary return to fiduciary rule status? Mark Sheff has, uh, you know, Mark, our great reporter in Washington, he's been on our the podcast and really kind of downplayed any possibility of that. I'm just wondering from the retirement plan space or retirement plan advisor, do you think there's a fiduciary fear out there at all? Okay. So there were a couple things in there. And first I have, I have to correct you a little bit. It's not Vanguard. Fidelity is, is getting into the PEP space. I'm not oh, sure I'm what Vanguard's interests are there, but it would be interesting to see. And, you know, we'll probably get some answer about that at some point. As far as fiduciary, so the the reason why it's interesting that Fidelity is jumping into the space the way that they are is that there have been some companies that registered as plan providers, you know, for PEPs that haven't really been certain about the fiduciary risks for recommending or including investments within the plans. Right. Fidelity doesn't feel that way. And, you know, they have immense resources. So that's many the fiduciary issue, that recommendation of investments managed by the same firm, in other words. Yes, that's that's part of it. Yeah. So right. they they clearly don't see an issue there. As far as the DOL's fiduciary rule goes. I'm not sure about the concerns that people have out there, but what's been interesting is that the Biden administration has indicated that it's not going to seek to overturn the rule itself. They're planning to work with what was passed under former sec that's the SEC rule. Right. The DOL's fiduciary rule was crafted in such a way that it can be added to or worked on. There can be guidance and clarification right. that can move in the direction that the Biden administration wants to go to make it potentially more consumer friendly, you know, if that's a good way to categorize it. But, you know, this this issue with the fiduciary rule has been going on for so long that <laughs> I have to imagine that I named my you children know, after, <laughs> I named my son fiduciary for crying out loud, you know, that when he was is, born 15 oh, years ago. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this this has just been something that companies have been preparing for for so long. Right. And Mark had a really interesting piece on how the government potentially uses ambiguity in regulation to help ensure compliance. Yes. I thought that was a great piece. It was. Because if you don't know what you can get dinged on, you better be really careful. 
Yes. <laughs> that seems pretty wily. Okay, did that answer your question? Yeah, no, that's great. Okay. I just it's it's always great. I mean, as more of a, you know, I focus more on the sales of these things what advisors sell and recommend and the legal stuff around the point of sale than what actually can be sold, right? So I always need to have that straightened out for me, you know, and how it can be sold and and the like. That's it for me, Jeff. Did you have anything else, Jeff? No, or, no, or, or I'm, I'm, I'm full. I'm, I've got all I can, I can handle on uh, retirement plan savings. I'm, I'm terrified now. I'm actually going to go and start, uh, start saving more money as soon as uh, we get done with this podcast. So, now, thank Jeff, you, you, you had your portfolio double checked, I believe, last year. Yeah. <laughs> so you should be in pretty good shape. Yeah, you had well, a portfolio I mean, uh, uh, checkup or something, right? Yeah, yeah, fair to Midland. So, yeah, but still, you know, <laughs> you, you never know what can happen. Everything you can never in have Bitcoin, too much money, right? Yeah. Bitcoin and gold. As long as I keep it all in Bitcoin just and gold, kidding. right? <laughs> all yeah, right, one hundred fifty percent allocation to Bitcoin. Yes, yes, sir. It's been fun, guys. All right. Well, thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Emil. That was another great episode of the Investment News Podcast. And of course, we want to thank our special guest, Emil Halle, the Investment News Retirement Reporter. Emil covers insurance, too, and variable annuities and all those kinds of things as well. We also want to thank uh, Stephen Lamb, our producer. You can find the podcast, this podcast, and, and uh, a variety of other great podcasts at investmentnews.com, obviously. And you can find also find it on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Please leave a review on Apple. And hit the follow button on Spotify, please. Emil, what is your Twitter handle? I think it's just Emil Halle. Okay. So reach out to Emil at, at Emil Halle uh, or reach out to Jeff at, at Benji Ryder. And my handle is at BD News Guy. Uh, thanks for listening. And we'll be talking to you next week. <laughs>